This podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I'm ready to party! Good morning, Vietnam! Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Magic myth on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Lockdown week four. Yeah. If you feel like you need that big brother voiceover in your life, you're just narrating your life. I would try really hard to do a Geordie accent, but I'm shockingly bad <laughs> at doing it. So dear, I'm not. Dear 26. Wow. Oh, no, that was terrible. Do you know what? I actually think I read somewhere that the guy who did, like, you know, the Geordie voiceover, yeah. he wasn't actually Geordie. Don't know. I don't think I, right, I need to be out there, <laughs> check this. I don't think he was. I think it was like a voice. I think they basically got someone to do like a voice as a bit of a joke or a voiceover. And it kind of stuck. I don't actually think he was a real Geordie. <laughs> or he had a much softer accent and he put it on mm. stronger. I can understand that, but it'll be weird if, like, for like what twelve years he was a fake Geordie. Yeah, but then look at the guy who does the Britain's Got Talent over the top voice. True. That's not his real voice, and for how long has he been doing that? That's true. And doing voiceovers for TV shows and radio and everything. Mm. So yeah. Yeah, but um, we aren't a podcast about Big Brother. We're a podcast about movies. We are his film, her movie. Yes, but it's a film about Big Brother. No, it's not a TV series. Yes. I'm thinking of the scary zombie one. That wasn't a film. No. Sorry. <laughs> I think it was a Channel 4 special, actually. It was. It was terrifying. <laughs> but yeah, we are his film, her movie. I'm Jordan. I'm Lauren. And we're the podcast that tries to show you just how diverse cinema can be through two very separate journeys. and Very different journeys. Yes. So we, we pit two films against each other on a subject. We've had a bit of a different from the... Difference from the normal format over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, we've been well, a bit lazier. Well, we, yeah, we've we had two franchise ones about how to deal with lockdown. Mm-hmm. And even though everybody seems to be talking about it, and it generally does take over most dialogue. It is. It's always like, how are you doing? Yeah. How are you finding everything? We thought we'd cash in on this entire zeitgeist. And yeah. this week's subject is... Films to that take place in one place. Yes. So as most of us are... Only in one place. Only in one place. Let's look at some films that only take place within a single location. We are finally knowing how our cat feels. Yes. Because she doesn't leave the house and neither do we. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, as always, um, go over to our friends at podsyndicate.com. Yes. Uh, we are podsyndicate.com and check out their shows. Always good for some time, and most of them are actually producing more content given that they've got more time. So, definitely go over check those out. We should say Jordan is still working. I am still working. So, although I'm just faffing about making sourdough bread, <laughs> uh, Jordan is working from home. Yes. And because of this whole the weirdness, 
it has kind of had a little bit of an effect on how often we've been getting these out, really. Absolutely. So we apologise for that, but we are still here. And if you get bored, head over to the uh, our social media because I've got nobody to talk to during the day and the cat's sick <laughs> to death of me. Absolutely, absolutely. But <laughs> um, So what are the films we're doing this week? I'm doing the 1985 John Hughes classic, The Breakfast Club, which is set only in a school. Yes. And I'm doing um, Alfred Hitchcock's 1948 film, Rope, um, which takes place entirely in a Chicago apartment, I believe. Yep. Um, so two it's very very apt. Very apt, yes. Right now, yeah. Yeah, so it's two interesting films to look at. One you may know and one you may not. Mm-hmm. Um, but which one do you want to start with? Um, let's start with Rope. Okay. It's a serious one. You're not really frightened anymore, are you, Philip? You can't have fear, you know. Neither of us can. That's the difference between us and the ordinary man, Philip. They talk about committing the perfect crime, but nobody does it. Nobody commits a murder just for the experiment of committing it. Nobody except us. You're not frightened anymore, are you, Philip? No. Not even of me? No. That's good. You just astound me, as always. That's even better. To David, of course. Brandon, how did you feel? When? During it? I don't know, really. I don't remember feeling very much of anything. So, Rope. Hitchcock's 1948 film, mm-hmm. um, which is about two socialite early 20s guys who commit a murder yep. um, right at the beginning of the film yep. and then go on to host a dinner party in that same apartment right after the murder has taken place. With the dead body still in the room. With the dead body still in the room. So this was slightly... Influenced, not slightly, it was influenced by an actual case from 1924 um, called um, Leopold and Loeb, who Mm -hmm. were two Chicago law students who committed a murder because they thought they were smart enough to get away with it. I love those kind of people because they're never smart enough to get away with anything. So it was trying to show how maybe the upper class are more intelligent and things like that. So Mm -hmm. you can definitely see the influence how that has on Rope, where... There is a character who believes he is too smart to get caught and he is what they call superhuman. Yeah. Um, not in a superhero way, but in a... In a intellectual in way. In an intellectual way. And we have, um, starring in it, we've got Jimmy Stewart, who's one of well, the biggest names within the film. But we also have John Dahl as Brandon. Yeah. And Farley Granger as Philip, mm-hmm. who are the two kids who commit the murder. Yeah. So Rope, it's an interesting one because it's it's a film that Hitchcock has actually came out and James Stewart has came out and said that they don't like. Oh, why do they not like it? Um, 
because it was very much, I mean, it was a stage play. It was adapted from a stage yeah, play. Yeah, you can very s- much tell it's adapted from a yeah. stage play. And, yeah. and, and the idea of, not only is it set in one location, it's, even though you do see the cuts massively, it's supposed to be this continuous shot. So it's, so it's in, it was very much a experiment um, on technique, on <laughs> filmmaking technique and on um, storytelling as well. Okay. And, what Hitchcock found, I think, was that it just didn't work. Like, as soon as you were in this situation, it just lost its momentum mm-hmm. and, and got a bit muddled and a bit unfocused. And I think that was that's what um, James Stewart thought as well. Okay. Um, but the thing, it's a film that is only 77 minutes long. Mm-hmm. So it's very short, but you can see that because of the situation and the location, the fact that it is not this very, very compact story. Yeah, I felt like it was like the right sort of length for that oh, story. Oh, absolutely, Definitely. Yeah. But what I, what I like about Rope is that it is very much Alfred Hitchcock flexing his muscles mm-hmm. and showing you, like there's a very, very famous quote about from Hitchcock where he talks about cinema audiences and storytelling and the difference between surprise and suspense. Yeah. And he's basically saying that if, for example, if there's two people who are talking in a restaurant and a bomb goes off underneath the table, Mm -hmm. you have 15 seconds of surprise and of commotion and then it's gone. Yeah. Whereas if you see a person put a bomb underneath the table... Super will come to the table and you know, for example, that bomb's going to go off at 1pm and it's 12.52. Yeah. Then you know that you've got like, what, eight minutes of suspense of, is this bomb going to go off? What's going to happen to, this, happen to these people? The conversation that they're having means a hell of a lot more because mm-hmm. you understand the situation what that they're in. Yeah. And, Although you do get these set pieces within Hitchcock films for, I mean, lots of times. That's what he did best. Mm -hmm. This is, um, for me, just an extended version of that. Okay. Um, Just because you've got the first thing that you've got, do you see, um, regarding any characters, is the murder. Yeah. And then put this dead body in in a trunk. Yeah, it's like a yeah, it is. It's like it's like a a big trunk, bigger than the one that you'd have like maybe at the end of your bed. Yeah, it's like more of like a chest. Chest, that's a good guess. Yeah. So about the same sort of size, like a sideboard or something. Yeah, and what it's great that does that great is because you know that's there all mm-hmm. the time. Um, whereas it, it's a it, if that was a twist at the end, it would be absolutely pointless. Yeah, it's the fact that you know. That when somebody comes close to that chest, when somebody tries to think about what, what, like everybody's talking about where is David? Yeah, and he's right in front and, of you, and he's right in the room with everybody, um, and it's just it's scripted, it's shot within an inch of its life, and mm-hmm. I, I really do think that it it holds that tension so so well, um, and, and given that its length is what it is, it doesn't really dilly dally. Um, yeah. And it, it opens up some really good conversations regarding, like, murder and Philosophy crime. of life, yeah. everything, yeah. 
But what do you think about Raw? Um, no, I really liked it. Um, one, um, for people who haven't seen it, uh, just watch it for the sheer beautiful opulence of this apartment. Yeah. Like an entire wall that's just a window. Absolutely gorgeous. Overlooking the Chicago um, skyline, which of course isn't isn't real. Yeah. But it's wonderful how you can see the passage of time through the sky. Mm. Like they have the clouds come and they go and the sky darkens and the lights. You see like all the lights start coming on in the background, which is really beautifully done um, for that. Because it kind of... It, you, you don't see it happening. It just sort of gradually happens. Like one light will go on here and the, the sky will turn a little bit more red. It's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Um. What I re- what I put was um. Brandon is a psycho. Well, yeah, absolutely. And Philip is just completely bowled over by him. Mm. My favourite part was the continuous shot of Philip speaking to um, Mrs. Wilson, the housekeeper. And Brandon in the background, being able to see him dropping the rope, yeah, into like the, like your rubbish drawer in the kitchen. Yeah, the swinging door. But it's through a swinging door, so like the door closes and it swings, and you see him open the drawer. Drawer, sorry, um, it swings back the other way. You see him like get the rope out and like sort of hang it above the drawer, swings back and he drops it, and then close. And it's just great how it's just like, yeah, how it's timed. I was like, that is just. I'd not seen that before. It was was, beautiful. It was beautiful. I was like, awesome. And I just had to get that in before Jordan said it because (laughs) I knew that he would bring it up. Um, I also, the the whole sort of theme through it was, and I wrote down the quote, a murder is a crime for most men and a privilege for the few. Yeah. Which was really, really interesting because Brandon really, he fully believes that it is his right, his privilege to look down his nose at David and be like, I am better than you. I can kill you and it it won't matter. It Mm. literally will not matter. Yet by the sounds of it, they went to the same school. Their family seemed to have a similar amount of wealth or I don't, I kind of got the impression that Brandon is old money and his David might be new money. Maybe. Which is... Kind of why I thought that he might think he's better than him. Well, I think as well. You, I mean, the entire the, the entire theme of the film is quite macabre in its, oh, yes. in its delivery. But the way I see it is that yes, he does believe he's better than David. However, um, you've got um, his well, David's current maybe fiance. You've got John Chandler as Janet, who mm-hmm. used to go out with Brandon. Then he went on, she, he went on, sorry, she went on to Kenneth and then went on to David. Yeah, but so, Kenneth's another person who comes in. Yes. And because Brandon says to him, oh, well, you know, you might you might be leaving with Jan tonight and everything and yeah, so hinting towards stuff. It's one of those things where it's like, does he just, is that jealousy of the woman choosing somebody else? Somebody else. Is it the fact that he... Likes the idea that he can manipulate everybody around him. Mm. But like I see they were all just pawns in his little game. Yeah, and like when Jim Stewart comes along, who was an old um, teacher lecturer of mm-hmm. the boys, then it becomes like this this boxing match of wits. Yeah, and you can just see Jimmy Stewart's um machinery clicking all over his head and seeing all the signs mm-hmm. and, and trying to understand the situation and that is a joy to watch. 
But say I, I do did enjoy the scene that you, you mentioned with the swinging door because that's I mean that's just all technique. That's just oh, yeah. timing and perfect, and that, that's filmmaking back in the day. But the, you've got to like get the the swing right. Yeah. You've got to push it right. You've got to get to your spot, do everything perfectly, and it's just. I wonder how many takes it took. Oh yeah, well that's a, it's because the thing is, a swing door will swing and then it will sort of stop itself. Yeah. So you've only literally got like a couple of seconds to do it right, and then yeah. you've got to do it all over again because it's one of those continuous shots. Yeah, so. absolutely. But so my favorite scene um, is when they've had their their food because what happens, and again, it's sort of poking fun at everybody who's at the party. Um, they have a spread of food, mm-hmm. um, which is supposed to be on the dining table, but Brandon has this idea of changing it to be on the chest that David is in, yes. which is their body is in. Um, but when she's clearing that up, you've got oh, yes. everybody off screen talking about where is David, but you've got Mrs. Wilson, who is going back and forth from both rooms, but, but the camera's sort of locked off. It's just locked on the chest. The chest and the distance. But you've seen her walking from the chest back through back through the other room. Taking clearing like up. the silverware, it, bringing the books back through. Just getting that amping up of the tension yeah. and saying, is she going to open this? And they, they kind of do, but then Brandon comes along and shuts it. And that's yeah. just sort of like, you see that replicated many times in cinema. It's keeping the camera, keeping the focus... Mm-hmm. on the danger of what is coming but trying to take in the surroundings like for example there's a there's a scene in Pulp Fiction the opening scenes of Pulp Fiction where um John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson they go over to this apartment and they're just talking just talking normal sort of Tarantino while they're talking about foot massages mm-hmm. and they get to the door about they're about to knock they don't because it's not the right time but they walk off with the camera stays at the door mm-hmm. and shoots them as they walk away and sit away for a little, just because this is where the this is where the scene's going to take place, and everything else is sort of inconsequential. Yeah. Um. But no, it's it is brilliant. And I thought it was very interesting that, um, like Brandon and uh, Rupert, the teacher, basically sit and discuss like the first purge. Yeah. They sit and they yes. go talk about it, going you know. One week where you could murder somebody, get and it's all very much get rid of like the lower classes, get rid of this idiot, what they class as being stupid people, the idiots and everything, people who are completely inconsequential to their lives. Yeah, but they kind of look at it, but then you're like, well, the people who you were seeing have been inconsequential to your life are still the people who are probably going to be holding up elements of your life. You mm-hmm. get rid of all the lower classes. Then I'm sorry, but who is going to be staffing the restaurants, the delis that you go to, yeah, yeah. everything else? Technically, Mrs. Wilson is a much lower class than So who would be your housekeeper? You'd literally be unable to have a society. Well, that's it as well. Cause you've, I mean, yes, there is a huge thing about class, but it's, especially you mentioned the the skyline from it, but like, yeah, and that is a glorious map painting, mm-hmm. but... You are above the city. Yes. So you are looking down at everybody else and just, just what that represents. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but it's, it's sort of, for me, Jimmy, I mean, Jimmy Stewart is Jimmy Stewart. I, 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 I love 
his acting style. He's very much the same character. He's a few there's a few films where he does go off, but um it's his personality and his delivery that gets me every time and not only is his final confrontation with Brandon when he's sort of taken taking the morn and saying, How dare you basically like this mm-hmm. is all theory we don't put into practice but it's the final shot after he shoots his gun so people you hear, then you can hear the sirens. Yes. And he just sits over the chest with the gun on the chest, protecting it against these two young criminals now. Mm-hmm. And it brilliant final shot because it, it lingers for a good 30 seconds. Oh, yeah, it lingers for ages. Um, and like just, you half expect like the police to burst through the door. Yeah. But no, it's one of those films that... I would say it was a play, but I would love to see a a, a, a theatre production of it and see how they work it. Yeah, I actually kind of feel like it probably would work better as a play. Mm. Just because, um, I don't know. Uh, I can see how, I feel like it would probably work better as a play because you would just be on that, you would be a single shot. Yeah. A person is a single shot camera, so you'd be able to see how they wanted it to be. There wouldn't be like the moving around and everything else. Everything would just be on one stage. Uh, absolutely. The thing is, it's that, it's that real time because the film is supposed to be seen in real time, mm-hmm. um, which is a task within itself. But some of the... Because they stitch it together with maybe about four or five or six shots. And the transitions are just so notice, noticeable. Yeah, they are. That... It sort of takes it out because you're always going to somebody's back and they're wearing a dark coloured suit jacket mm-hmm. where you can easily say, cut, get back so you're not really seeing anything yeah. and come out of it, which is, it's a bit cheap, but again, back in the day, in, in I mean, 1948, size of the cameras, the fact that they were able to, to move as much as they did through that location is quite incredible. I would definitely recommend people to watch it. Mm. I think it's a nice Hitchcock film. It's unique as well, I think. Yeah, it's completely different. Um, it has got the suspense, which was good, but um, it, it I don't want to say it was relaxed, but it wasn't like a. It's not full on. It's very much. It's not full on. And I think I think that's quite good because then you can sit and you can watch it. It's easy to follow. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to follow because it has got a very small cast in a small place. Um, everybody's talk, everybody knows each other. Everybody's talking to each other. Um, so I did, yeah, I found it. I found it easy to follow. It was nice to watch. It looked gorgeous. The story was good. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I think that's probably it for rope. Yes. Uh, should we go into the Breakfast Club? Yes. This podcast you're listening to, pretty good, isn't it? Only problem is, it's about halfway through. Pretty soon, it'll be over. And then what are you going to do? Well, if you're a fan of this show, why not head over to wearepodsyndicate.com and subscribe to our brand new feed, Pod Syndicate The Bonus Shows. Every week, your hosts from Beyond the Neon, Chinstroker vs. Punter, Entertainment Landfill, Film Bastards, His Film, Her Movie, and What's On Tap will be dropping bonus shows right onto that feed. These shows might be collaborations and crossovers, or they might be archive episodes, interviews, one-offs, and other treats from across the Pod Syndicate network. 
So, prepare yourself for the inevitable disappointment of this Pod Syndicate show ending by heading to wearepodsyndicate.com and clicking on the bonus shows. We now return you to your regularly scheduled Pod Syndicate podcast. CS3P Combat! Player one, choose your character. Tired of film and television podcasts where the hosts exist in a blissful state of agreement? Player two, choose your character. While you're in luck. Punter. Round one, fight! Allow me to introduce you to the Chinstroker vs. Punter podcast, featuring two film and television fans from Birmingham, England, who enjoy their media in very different ways. <laughs> but anyway, that brings us to the end of the plot of Blue Velvet. The plot. I mean, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. So join us as we catch up on what we've been watching from our own very different perspectives. Double KO. Round two. Fight. You can find us at csvsp.libson.com. Also on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all the places that podcasts can be found. Just really It's isn't. not visually striking. No. no just, just getting confirmation. It's just in English. That's the third time, though. I mean, am I, is this on? Here's my impression of life at Big Bry's house. Son? Yeah, Dad? How's your day, pal? Great, Dad. How's yours? Super. Say, son, how'd you like to go fishing this weekend? Great, Dad. But I've got homework to do. That's all right, son. You can do it on the boat. Gee. Dear, isn't our son swell? Yes, dear. Isn't life swell? So my choice was the 1985 John Hughes film, The Breakfast Club. Yes. So for those who do not know, um, The Breakfast Club is basically a group of five high school students. Um, They've all ended up getting detention and for some reason detention is on a Saturday it must be an American thing. It must be an American thing. So they're there for like the whole day, pretty much all day um, in detention. And they're all from different um, areas of the school uh, community. And it's just them learning about themselves, learning about each other and um, realising that they're actually a lot more alike. Yeah. Um. So I picked this film because it was possibly the first it was one of the first John Hughes films I'd ever watched and it really stood out to me in this time because living together through something like this is hard yeah and you are stuck with people who as much as you love them you're not with them 24 7 absolutely um so you do you learn a lot about people and like in this you have your fights you have your disagreements um and you have your good times 
And I just kind of felt like this film would be a really good good way to sort of look at that because of all the different things that happen in it. There is Andrew, Brian, uh, Bender, Claire, and Alison. Yes. Who are the five kids. So as they describe themselves, they've got the brain, the athlete, the basket case, the princess, and the criminal. Yeah. And I just find that the way that John Hughes has done this is really good. It's set in the library, mainly. Yeah. Which is is something that all schools have. It's something that's easily identifiable by anybody who is at high school, secondary school, whatever you want to call it. Um I don't know about I don't know what schools like now, but we did have clicks. Not as bad as this. But everybody does, there's always like that one slightly weird kid. There's always the kid that's, you know, most voted most likely to go to jail. 100%, yeah. Uh, there's always like the really sporty one. Um, so they're the very easily defined, easily identifiable major sort of players that you'd get in any school. Yeah, the social groups. Yeah. And with that, um, you get some like really good bounce backs off everything. Um, one of my favourite scenes is where they're running around the school trying to avoid being caught. And it just reminds me of like being in school and going like, oh my God, I'm doing something wrong. Don't get caught. <laughs> and trying to outwit the teachers. Not in like a running around trying not to get caught in that kind of way. Yeah. But it is something that you can look back on and be like, remember that time in school when this happened? Yeah. Um, which is Which is why I really thought it would be quite a good one. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, Breakfast Club is one of my favourites. Yeah. It's my favourite John Hughes movie. I remember that when I first saw it, I put it on VHS. I think I was maybe... (laughs) I don't think... I know I I don't have it on VHS. I only bought it on DVD. Yeah, but I think I was about 16 when I watched it, which is generally a great time to see Mm -hmm. this film. And I think I watched it four times in one day, the first time I saw it. Wow, It had that much of an effect on me. Don't get me wrong, it had sort of a way in throughout the years. Mm Mm-hmm. But it is, yeah, for me, it's the best John Hughes film, but it's the best what he deals with. I mean, John Hughes, yes, teenage um, film, films, everything, that's what he's famous for. However, this is a bit different because The Breakfast Club feels like a, a stream of consciousness movie yeah. where, I mean, I, I know he wrote it in a weekend mm-hmm. and, and you can tell that he's, he's getting a lot of ideas and a lot of messages out. It, it, it in quick se- in one going, in yeah. quick succession, set it in one location, so you don't have to really worry about anything mm-hmm. regarding like your your normal three act structure in, in a sense. But what he does so well here, and even better than things like Ferris Bueller's or Pretty in Pink or Sixteen Candles, mm-hmm. is that he doesn't trivialize teenage problems. No. And, they're, they're incredibly important. Yeah, and the opening um, Barry, lyric, Barry lyrics that come on, um, that chatter at the beginning, mm-hmm. it tells us that straight away that because even though if adults watch this, they will see their kids having kids' issues. Yeah. But teenagers watching that could fully relate to all the things that are happening there. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah, the, the the stereotypes that he's dealing with and those social sort of groups that he's dealing with are very broad. Yeah. But I would go out on a limb and say that 
anybody can find themselves a bit of each mm-hmm. of that. So you might be a bit of a, a bit of a bender and a bit of Ali or a bit of an, an Andrew and a Claire. You know what I mean? It's you may not find yourself wholly as one, but you can you can relate to one or two of them yeah. massively because they're sort of your normal issues that you have, popularity of really worrying about how other people see you. Yeah, and the thing is, like when you said they're really broad, I think that kind of gives the film quite a timeless quality. Yeah. Because there are always going to, like, like I said, like my school wasn't anywhere near this clicky, but there will always be the kid that is really good into art. Mm. There will always be the kid who is a bit spoiled and is really pretty and gets everything that they want. There's always going to be those kids, even if there's no clicks. You're always going to look at it and be like, God, I know a person just like that. And even though it is in the 80s, you can still look at it and go, yeah, I, I, I remember people being like that at school. Or if you were watching it now, you can go like, yeah, I go to school with somebody like that. Hmm. Which and I think is good. No, absolutely. I mean, the only thing that, I mean, times it really is the costumes. And I love everything that Molly Ringwald is wearing. Yeah. I would have that whole outfit. Like right now, and, and the the actual sort of layout of the library is a little bit. But again, there's a there's a sign, big sign, going microfiche at the top, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that would just be computers now. <laughs> Actually, most of it will be computers now. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and that's really it. I mean, the, the 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 actual themes are very universal. That, yeah. that that's where it is. It's where it is to be young. Mm-hmm. It's where it is to find yourself, and to. Empathize. Empathize with others. Yeah. And then just learn more about them. Yeah, absolutely. And as I say, what what you do find out is even though they have all these individual issues um relevant to their own social structure, mm-hmm. however, those issues are completely comparable with everybody else's. The stresses of being a teenager are actual stresses. Yeah, um, it's like when Brian's saying like uh, about how upset he was about getting an F. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, well, what's the deal? It's like, it brings down my whole average. My parents expect me yeah. to consistently get A's. And if I can't do that, then in their eyes, I'm a failure. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's like, and also you've got this thing of parents pressure mm-hmm. that, that everybody feels. Um, and you you don't you don't want to let down your parents because and the sad thing is the kids feel like they're letting down their parents by simply being their uh, true selves yeah it, it is it is a, it's a wonderfully written movie yeah there is some like choice sort of language in their regard and pc nowadays yeah. but it's an 80s film you, you you can't do anything about that but You've got a few standouts for me. I mean, Judd Nelson um, as Bender is a standout for me. And I, it makes mm-hmm. me, if, if, I feel bad that that era, that, that Brat Pack era didn't have better careers. Yeah, because you just don't see no, anything. I, it wasn't like we were watching something the other day and the guy who plays Brian. Yeah, Anthony Michael Hall, he was in an episode of The Good Fight. Yeah, and you were like, oh, it's him. And I was like, oh, I've not seen him in anything other than 
John Hughes films. Yeah, I mean, he was in a TV show for a little while, but again, it's not. It wasn't a huge TV show or anything like that. It was mm-hmm. like a, um, a medium TV show, like like a psychological supernatural thing, I think. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's like for example, yeah, Judd Nelson is so great. I mean, Emilio Estevez came out, and now he's a director now, which fair play. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he wasn't the greatest actor. However, Molly Ringwald was brilliant. She was so good in all of those films. Yeah. And I was like, why don't we see her anymore? That's it. it, 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 it you get typecast when, when she was that teen queen. Yeah. That John Hughes sort of gem. Mm-hmm. That when she grew old, older, then she kind of lost her value as a star because... People, as being teen. teen. And when you don't look like a teen, you can't play a teen. Yeah. Um, so she sort of lost her cash in, which is a bit of a shame. But uh, but saying that about Emilio Estevez, he does kind of have the best moment of the film, which is a monologue where he's talking about why he's there at that point. Mm-hmm. And like the gambit of emotions that he goes through of being disgusted at what he does and how the pressure of his parents and then understanding that his actions have caused shame on another person. Yeah. Like, it is a wonderfully, wonderfully staged scene. Mm-hmm. And he delivers everything. And him and Anthony Michael Hall within the, that... I mean, that iconic scene when they're sat around um, sort of in a semicircle, that, that's the image that I have when I think about The Breakfast Club. Yeah. Um. But yeah... But, Anthony Michael Hall actually taking on Claire and saying, like, you're so conceited, the fact that you, even though you know it's a, a shitty thing to do, of like, to not interact with them when school starts again on Monday, but, yeah. but she'll do it anyhow, Yeah, um, is great. But it it shows, like, strength, it shows childishness, it shows, it, it, it shows weakness as well, but not only weakness in the kids, but the weakness in... The Richard Vernon character because oh god yeah because oh he's awful but but he, I think he is but he he is the the generation above like when he's there sitting with Carl having a beer mm-hmm. like a lot of films that deal with teenagers oh many other films it's the fear of the generation after it's everybody thinks the generation after them have had it too easy. Uh, coasting or whatever like yeah. we we had to strap our boots up and go to work we we did this we did that where the kids getting in for nothing and he encompasses that really quite poignantly yeah it was like yes he probably started teaching with the best of best of intentions, intentions being beat out of him yeah and you can see it you can see it when he's just he loses his temper. He's so frustrated with the whole situation. Mm. And you kind of get the impression that he's tried and he's tried and he just he just can't try anymore. But I just can't forgive him for threatening Bender. It's a good though scene, though. he's a little though. shit, though. He is. But the thing is, we, we like Bender because he's a clown and because he's funny. Mm, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say like. I feel sorry for him yeah um not 
he's he he's not my number one of the list. Um he does a lot of things that I find very morally questionable. Um that I think go past the line of just being a bit of a bully. Yeah. And just sort of teasing people. Like when he like sticks his head and everything up Molly's skirt and it's just like Okay, that is bad. Okay. I know it was the 80s, that's, but and I, I know it's the joke. But that, that's, that but is played for laughs, you know what I mean? It isn't, that is it, it isn't played, played for... like a pervy thing, is it? It's like, I understand that though. Yeah, and I just think that, um, yeah, there's a few little bits, and when he's pressing her and pressing her about if she's a virgin or not, and it's just like, calm down. Nobody else is bothering with her. Mm. Just. Yeah, I just feel like he goes a little bit too far. And he goes harder on her than he does on anybody else. Well, absolutely. I think because that's the, that's the entitlement, isn't it? It's the having, it's the person with nothing, but t- taking on the person with everything. Yeah, but the person with everything is the weakest person in that room. She has everything, but she's not had to have any kind of conflict. She doesn't know how to fight back in this sort of situation. It's, that's Whereas Ali is used... She's the girl who is used to being kicked to the side. She comes back with smart-ass remarks and everything. But that's a, like, yeah, a defence mechanism. But I would probably actually argue that she is the strongest person in that room because she's the popular one who could probably ruin anybody's life by a single sentence. That's true, but at the same time, like... You're doing it to a girl all by herself. Mm. Um, she can't really fight back. And you're doing it to a guy whose life is crap. She's not going to make it any worse. Mm. So, yeah, I was just... He's not my number one person out of it. Who is? Um, I really like Brian. Right. Out of it. Because... When you look at him, um, he's like, oh, yeah, he's the good kid. And he does all this. And he's a bit of a sad sack and everything. But when he gets so upset about the whole, um, like, not making the right grades or anything, um, I feel like you get, you see, like, a lot with with him. He does try to stick up for other people, even though he knows that he's weak and he would get beat up very easily he knows that he has nobody to protect him yet he still sticks up for people he's just basically just trying to get along in life and he knows that by doing his best it's his ticket out of there and I think the fact that he gets so upset where he's like I feel like he he can he thinks that like his escape to a better life is just going but yeah and I think there's also what you got there is I think the two socially most um, the lowest of the popularity ladder mm-hmm. are probably the two nicest. You've got you've got yeah. Ali and you've got Mike uh, and Brian who say like, "Well, I wouldn't. I would gladly accept you. Still talk to you. Yeah. He st- he sticks up for Molly. Yeah, he sticks up for everybody, and he's like, "Oh, just you know, calm down and everything." Even though he knows that they'd probably just beat him up. Mm. And the fact that when I know that Andrew's going on going talking about how upset he was, and he's like. Yeah, that guy's my friend. Yeah. So Brian knows more about the pain and the suffering than Andrew could ever know. Yeah. And he just stays quiet and he just lets him go through it and go, yeah. When he, well, You can see him when he goes, um, 
yeah, he's my friend. You can just see the absolute disgust in his face because, like, I know way more about how he felt mm. about that than you. Oh, exactly. But I think what Andrew does as well, he's like, that's what that's his realisation. He's like, he didn't see that. All he saw was, like, a victim and a, and a person that he could sh- he sh- show up. But he didn't treat Andrew any differently. No, no. Throughout the whole of that. He was just, he was obviously disgusted by him and obviously felt sorry for him. But the fact that he would know more about this victim Mm. and he would know more about his suffering. Yeah. And he's probably experienced something similar. Mm. So Andrew can sit there and be like, oh, this is like his arc of being a better person. But he's nowhere near had to suffer as much as Brian's had to suffer. Oh, exactly. What you think is you've got the three characters probably there who have had the biggest arcs with Brian, Andrew and Bender. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ali and Brian don't really change. They just... You just said Brian did. Sorry. Molly, do you mean? No, no, no Claire, sorry, Claire. Bender. And Bender and Andrew are the yeah. ones with the three arcs. Whereas Ali, um, who is only there because she has nothing better to do. But she opens up and you understand her pain. And mm-hmm. Brian, who opens up and shows you a different line of, a different sort of overwhelming um, angst yeah. in, in a different sort of in a different sort of way. But no, Breakfast Club really is good. Do you have any fun facts? I do have fun facts. So, um, John Hughes says his biggest regret about the whole film was using the breaking glass effect during the marijuana scene with Andrew, which, again, very much agree. I have never seen anybody so in, like excitable and full of beans while stoned. Like, I, he was smoking weed. He was definitely smoking something else. Um, let me just find the other one. Um, so it was only Claire who was supposed to dance. Right. But Molly Ringwell felt really uncomfortable dancing alone, so John Hughes had the entire cast dance, which is why everybody's dancing. Um, and what was the other one? Let me just find it. And um, the other thing was, uh, Brian's mum, Mercedes Hall, and his younger sister, Mary Christian, played what um, were his real mum and sister. All right. So it was quite nice. It was like his actual like family being there. So I kind of like the fact that when his sister's like, eh, and he like sort of like looks at it, it's like, oh my God, his mum would be like, this is exact. He's not acting. This is exactly how they like communicate yeah. at home. Because I love Daryl, but oh my God, she, she used to twine at me when I was younger, when she was like younger. And because there's six years between us, it would totally be just be me like, oh my God, just shut up. <laughs> Which I'm sure she says to me and thinks about with me so much, but because there's such a big age gap, it would be like a similar sort of yeah. age if I had to go to um, detention. Detention. But no, Breakfast Club really is a great, great pick. I have to ask, uh, did you ever get detention at school? Do you know what? I don't know if I did. Did you not? I got demerits and stuff like that, but we did. Demerit. Like we used to have merits, like basically, like you used did to have. You go to Hogwarts or something. <laughs> you used to get well. You used to get like it's like kind of like a, a kind of ghost stars, but you used to get merits throughout it. And if you got like fifty merits, which is like yeah, if you do something good, mm-hmm. then you used to get something like a prize and hundred and, and whatever merits you got. But a demerit was just like say, taken off that. 
So it would ruin your... Five your points from McGrath? Yeah. Okay. But I can't remember ever having, like... Maybe I did at lunchtime. So we never, nobody ever did it after school or on a weekend. Oh, okay. Okay. I had a couple of after school detentions. Not many. Mm. I had a couple. Um, I always remember my uncle said when I started secondary school, for every detention you get, you'll get a fiver. Um, you get expelled, we'll give you £100 each. Mm. <laughs> um, my mum was not happy about that, but I did end up getting money off them for getting detention. So yeah. win, win, win. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I have to say that my family are very supportive of uh, having a good education. My uncle just thought it was funny just to wind my mum up. But they're very good at sticking to a deal. Yes. So. <laughs> but, no, but I think that's it for this week. I think that's it. Um, next week, we're having a bit of a sticking with this theme. Kind of. We're kind of. We're going direction. in the opposite direction. So this week was obviously in one direct, in one location. Um, and... Next week we're looking towards the future, and we're going to do the great outdoors. So we can films leave that, the house. So films that really take us out of our confinements and into the into the wild, if you will. Yes. So if you can think of any films that take you out of your comfort zone and into the countryside and into the wild, into the world, into the world, do you know then what? just to Lloyd's. <laughs> I just want to go to the pub. Then you can contact us on Twitter and Instagram on at his film her movie. Yes. You can go over to our new Facebook page. Yes, it's much easier to find because now it is just his film her movie. Yeah, so every, all of our socials are his film her movie. So you That's can it. find us easily. No, no spaces. You search it for where you want, and you can find us. Um, or you can email us at hfhmpod podcast at gmail dot com. Yes. But yeah, I think that's about it. We're back into our normal format, which is quite nice. Yeah, I like our format. And then we will see you next week. See you next week.